This happened about two months ago, and I still get chills whenever I think about it. So I work construction, and whenever I get off work, I always like to go to the gas station to get some snacks. On this particular day in question, I had got off work around 7pm. I was heading to my local gas station to get some drinks and candy. When I walked inside of the gas station, I saw that there was a guy that was heading out right as I was walking in. I picked my snacks, drink, and then paid. While heading to my car, I had overheard someone calling someone, so I decided to turn around and the worker at the gas station was outside. He then said, Hey you, you didn't pay for those items. I was like, what are you talking about? I literally just paid for them. Get over here and pay or else I'm going to call the cops and get them to arrest you. I then replied back, No, I literally just paid for these like I just told you. I noticed that while he was saying all of this, he was pointing at my car and kind of hinting something. Then he started waving for me to come towards him. So I decided to walk up to him and he walked me inside. Once we got inside, he then told me something absolutely chilling. There's someone inside of your car. When you were paying, I noticed on the cameras that someone was walking into your car with a knife in their hand. I was absolutely shocked and totally confused about this. When I went to look at my car, my back door was wide open. I walked right up to it, but there was no one inside. I didn't bother to call 911 since I didn't really want to file a report and go through all of that. I don't know what happened to the guy that was going to get in my car or what he was planning to do. But to this day, I'm really grateful to that worker for possibly saving my life. And remember, always, always lock your doors. The story takes place a long time ago on a frigid December night in 2007. I had gone to a friend's Christmas party and I'm now heading back to my apartment. On the way back, there's some construction blocking the exit to the freeway that I needed to take home. This is before the days that GPS navigators and maps were pretty common on phones. I decide to stop at a nearby gas station and to ask the clerk for directions to the next exit so I can get onto the freeway. As I'm walking into the store, a young woman appears seemingly out of nowhere and starts walking towards me. Just the sight of her puts me on edge. She's wearing a really ripped up black hoodie right underneath a thick windbreaker and a set of baggy cargo pants. I turn away and start walking faster, hoping I can get into the store and just avoid her. She calls out, Hey, wait! I pretend that I can't hear her and just keep walking, but then she shouts out again this time quite loudly. Wait up! And she waves her arms around. At this point, I can't really ignore her now, so I apprehensively turn to face her. Now that she's closer, I can see her face a little more clearly. The massive amount of makeup she's wearing doesn't conceal her sunken red eyes. I'm not gonna lie, her face was quite attractive, but somehow, I don't know, that just made her all the more unsettling to me. Before she even starts talking to me, I just know this is going to be trouble. So what do you want? I say to her. Yeah, so I know I don't know you, but could you do me a huge favor? My car won't start, and I think the battery's dead. Can you jumpstart my car? It's right over there. The lady points to a vehicle parked on the other side of the lot. Um, no, sorry. I don't have any jumper cables in my car. I tell her. 
I think they sell those things here in the gas station. Why don't you buy some and then you can help me? She says with a smile. I can tell that she's trying to be flirty with me. I'm sorry, but I can't help you. I tell her this and start walking away, hoping she'll get the hint. Instead, she grabs my arm and pulls herself closer to me. Come on, a hot guy like you can't help me out? You seem really cool. What's your name? I'm Tiffany. She puts her arm around my waist and then tries to cuddle up to me. I can smell the cigarette stench mixed with the perfume coming off of her. Now, as a young single guy in his early 20s, normally I would welcome an attractive young woman coming on to me, and I'll admit I was pretty tempted by her, but there's something really shady about this. I push her arm off. Look, I can't help you. Ask someone else. I decide immediately that I really need to get away from this girl and start walking back to my car, figuring that I'll just drive somewhere else and ask for directions. Of course, she follows me. Hey, come on. Don't walk away. Where's your Christmas spirit? I really want to get to know you. Come back to my car. She says as she once again grabs my arm. I shake her off and just keep walking. I get to my car and open the driver's side door. She walks to the passenger side and literally tries to open it. Look, I told you I can't help you. I shout at her as I get into my car and close the door. I turn on the engine and she runs over to the driver's side and knocks on the glass. I want to drive away, but she's positioned herself in such a way that I might risk hitting her if I pull out of the parking space. I slightly roll down my window and then I tell her, Look, for the last time, I'm not going to help you. Get the hell away from my car and take a hike. Her demeanor instantly changes from fun and flirty to angry and hostile. She then shouts back at me, you freaking loser, like I'd ever even let you touch me anyways. Screw you. She kicks my door and runs back to her car. I'm really kind of shocked as to what she's done. I'm ready to get out of the car and call the police on her. But to my horror, when I look over, I then see her climb into the passenger seat of her car and watch as another man emerges from the shadows and then climbs into the driver's seat. He's carrying what looks like an ice scraper in his hand. My heart starts pounding as I then hear the other car's engine then fire up. She had been lying about her car being unable to start. I fearfully realize that there's no time to call the cops now. I have to get out of here right now. I pulled out of that gas station faster than I've ever pulled out of anywhere in my life and peeled out into the road. I can see the other car then pull out and then start following me in my rearview mirror thus beginning what would then become the most dangerous few minutes of driving in my life. I then start driving as fast as I can away from the other car. They stay in pursuit of me, honking their horn as they try to catch up to me. I take just about every turn that I can and weave around a few cars. I come up to a light that's just about to turn red and I see my opportunity now. I slow down a bit and the light turns red. I wait a couple of seconds, and then I gun it right through the light, getting a few horns honked at me from the oncoming traffic, but I don't care at this point. I look in my rearview mirror, and I can see the other car slam its brakes at the red light. I then drive away as quickly as possible and pull into a nearby subdivision. I take a few turns and drive deep into the neighborhood, parking near a dark house. I turn off my lights and finally take a few minutes to breathe. 
My heart is pounding a mile a minute and I can hardly sit still. I wait a few minutes to try and calm my nerves and finally start driving back out the way I came. When I get into the road, there's no signs of the car. It looks like I've lost them. I eventually drive down to a different gas station and then ask for directions in there. I also tell the clerk that there's a crazy couple on the loose trying to lure people into a trap by claiming their battery is dead, but he doesn't seem all that interested. I can't really blame him though because I didn't really have a lot of info to give. I never got a good look at the car or its license plate. I safely make it back to my apartment. When I get out of my car and look at my driver's side door, thankfully the dent that girl made with her kick wasn't too bad or too much damage. Over a decade later, that story's still one of the scariest things that has ever happened to me. I'll never forget the look of pure malice that the girl gave me when she then shouted at me and kicked my door. My guess is that she was a junkie of some kind. I don't really know. I have no idea who that other guy was or what they intended on doing to me. I sometimes think to myself, what would have happened to me if I let her seduce me into that trap? That very thought chills me to this day. So to all you guys out there, don't let the head between your legs do the thinking for the head between your shoulders, especially if she's aggressively coming on to you for no good reason. Also to Tiffany, and I really doubt that's your real name, you can rot in hell. You and that scumbag guy you were with. It's been nearly 13 years, but I still really hope to never see either of you ever again. A young white man who looked to be about 25 years old came up to my window at the gas station I work at. He was dressed very well in a new red Nike sweater, new Nike shoes, and a new baseball cap, and was also freshly shaven. I approached the window, and he asked me about a particular energy drink that we don't really carry, so nothing too weird quite yet. When I tell him we don't have it, he looks super dejected, and he kind of just stands there for about two minutes without saying anything. I'm a pretty patient person and I deal with a lot of weird people pretty often, so I just silently wait. The young guy then asked me, What should I do? And I reply, Um, about what? He then starts to tell me about how he hasn't eaten in like two days and asks what he should do. This is typically a ploy for free stuff. I said, Well, you could buy some food. Do you have any money? He says, um, I have two dollars, but I really want an energy drink. We kind of go back and forth for about a minute until I tell him he should probably go to the local shelter as they'll give him some free food. This is obviously not what he wanted, and without another word, he runs off. I think, man, that's super weird, and then go back to cleaning the store. About an hour later, the guy returns. When he comes back, it seems that whatever he took had hit him pretty hard. A car had followed him and a lady speaking very loudly to him, though I can't really understand what she's saying. He's smiling and nodding at her, then turns as she drives off. He then yet again approaches the window with a really huge smile on his face. I ask him what I can get him. He replies, Your eyes. They're green. Did you know that's a very rare gene to have? I kind of just nod and smile as my eye color seems to attract a lot of comments anyway. 
and I know better than to press weird conversations at 3am. He continues. It means you have light in your soul. Rainbow light inside of you. Your name contains the name of Ra from the sun god in Egyptian culture. You're a part of creation in the universe. I frown and don't say anything back to him as wearing a name tag seems to always elicit weird comments as well. He continues. I have a very special $2 bill and three quarters that, if invested correctly, will be worth a lot of money. I'll pay with these. You need to keep them and then use them to make money. He then proceeds to put three quarters, a $2 bill, and a pine cone in my box. I kind of think to myself how strange it is that he assumes I would be able to do anything with the money when it's the gas station's money, not mine. Also that he put a freaking pine cone in the box. I ask him, what do you want to buy? And I explain that he can buy a water, some chocolate, and a tea with the amount he's given me. Which also fixes his issue of wanting to eat, get caffeine, and stay hydrated. He then agrees with my suggestions. He seems really grateful to me as I get his items, all the while smiling very brightly at me through the window. I'm thoroughly stressed out by the unwanted eye contact the entire time. While I'm cashing out the transactions, he runs to the gas pumps and starts staring at the ceiling of the pumps. This goes on for a good three minutes or so. He then turns around and comes back. I give him his items and change and, once again, he starts telling me about the love and light in the universe and then he asks me why I gave him the coins back. I also want to add it wasn't the same coins, I was literally just giving him his change back. I explained to him that I can't keep them as it's against the company policy to keep the customer's change. He then decides to bolt into the direction of the highway that's right in front of my work with his items and then disappears right into the darkness. Definitely one of the weirdest and creepy encounters I've had yet. So this happened to me just last Christmas. Now for Christmas I had three different house parties to go to. So I decided to split my time so that I could see everyone. Because of this, I really wanted to get really dressed up and put my best makeup on. I guess you can say I'm fairly attractive, and I guess the makeup and pretty dress overdid it. I first spent the day with my family, then moved on to my best friend's house party. Her family is a lot like my family, and we had a really great time. I actually stayed there a lot longer than I should have, and I ended up leaving right as it was getting dark. Now I'm off to my boyfriend's family's party now. As I was driving there, I had noticed I needed gas. I was really trying to decide if I should get gas and be even later. I decided to get it then because I knew I'd be leaving his house pretty damn late and I didn't want to be getting gas by myself at midnight or something. I normally don't really like going to that gas station because I've been catcalled there plenty of times before. And what do you know? I pull into the end pump and first thing I hear right when I get out is, Hey sexy, you got a really nice body. Some guy is calling out to me from the window of his car. I kind of just do the half smile awkward thing. This was mere seconds after getting out of my car. I'm there standing at the pump and for whatever dang reason it's not working. It just keeps saying that it's not reading my card and that there's some kind of issue with it. But I just keep trying it because I just want to get the hell out of there. Because during this whole struggle, I get catcalled two more times by guys hanging out of their windows. I was really starting to freak out at this point. Some junk car then pulls up at the pump next to me. 
And this is a serious, serious junk car. Like it didn't even have a whole door. It looked like it had some sort of bungee cord that was holding it together. I got a bad vibe and just decided to go inside and pay for my gas with the teller. The guy that was driving the junk car then gets out and he's going inside as well. But I feel like he's getting way too close to me. So once I get to the door, I open it and I let him go first. Like I was holding the door for him. I just didn't want him to be behind me. He starts saying how sweet I am and it was just getting really creepy. He looked like he did really hard drugs and just the way he was staring at me just really made my stomach turn. He looked like he was around my age too, which was 21 in case I didn't mention it. I was waiting in line and was getting lingering stares, but that didn't really bother me as much as the cat calls. So once I finally get to the cashier, he then says, Oh, I can't give you gas. I'm like, uh, why the hell not? And then he starts making some excuse on why he can't sell it to Bronco fans. My purse is a Bronco's purse. I'm just like, dude, I'm trying to get the hell out of here. Hurry up. I gave him a dirty enough look for him to start ringing me up, but he then starts trying to talk to me about random crap. Stuff that I don't even care about enough to remember. As I'm walking to my car, I then get catcalled by what is now like the sixth guy to bother me. Now, here's where I get the most scared. The junkie car guy was right behind me walking out of the station. He walks up to his car and he's probably there for about a minute. I'm finally pumping gas now when I then hear the car to that door close. The junk car guy and a second guy then gets out with him. Now the second guy looks so much more scary than him and he then just starts staring at me. He's being really creepy and looking me up and down. My heart is literally pounding right now just remembering this part. He starts walking up to me and he's rounding the pump when I then hear some guy behind me catcalling me from his van. Van guy is still saying some really perverted things to me as he rounds the corner then crashes right into a Mustang head on. Junk car guy number two literally jumps back at the noise. I take about a second to process what the hell just happened then stop the gas and jump in my car as fast as possible then reverse the hell out of there. The two really creepy junky car guys are like screaming in laughter now, telling me to look at what I did. They're literally laughing like, <laughs> You just made him crash. Look what you did. I reverse the hell out of there like they do in the movies. I literally had to stop the gas at like $4 because I didn't want to stay there even for a second longer. I don't even know how to explain how I felt. It was like I was shaking and crying and also laughing at the same time. I actually had to scream in my car just to get rid of this feeling. The thing that shocked me the most is that the gas station was packed, but that they had no shame to catcall me like that. This area I was in doesn't even have a lot of crime. I really don't understand how this even happened in the first place. I called my dad right away and I couldn't even tell the story. I was just laughing like a maniac because it just felt so surreal. After that happened, my boyfriend always goes with me now to get the gas there. If he knows that I'm getting gas close to him, he'll always drive to the parking lot to make sure I'm okay. I've never gone back to that gas station again, nor have I worn that dress. At the time, I was 19 years old. My current age is 23. At the time, I worked at a dog facility, and Murphy's was the closest gas station. 
I was driving a really old truck at the time, so you can't entirely trust the gas gauge on them all too much. I put in my card and started pumping my fuel when this really tall man came around my truck and then started talking to me. Which is totally fine, but he just came out of nowhere. Well, he proceeded to take the nozzle right out of my hand and then started pumping my gas for me. Which, in my opinion, was kind of odd to me. He then went on to ask me what I was doing pumping my own gas. And I proceeded to tell him kindly that I was an adult and I don't really need anyone to do it for me. Well, then he asked if I had a boyfriend. I said that I do, which I was totally screaming in my head how bad that I wished he was there. He then looked around and then said, Well, where's he at? I don't see him here. At this point, I'm starting to mentally freak out. So I'm like, Sir, just because we're young, that doesn't mean we don't have to work every day just like you. My boyfriend can't be with me 24-7 because we're both really busy trying to afford a place to live. The man stopped pumping my gas at that point and then said, You're right. Well, have a good day. I really can't wait to bump into you again. I then finished pumping my gas and got the hell out of there. I always carry two knives on me at all times and I have a knife in my trunk as well. I just want to add that I do understand being a gentleman and wanting to help someone out. But putting your hand on the nozzle to my pump while my hand was there? That is just not cool. Always ask first, and if they say it's okay, then fine. But don't just do it and then try and leave when they explain why their boyfriend isn't around all the time. So yeah, that was a little creepy for me. I haven't seen him since, but I also don't drive that same truck anymore. But I always have someone with me whenever I go to that gas station now. To start off this story, I just want to say that it happened a while ago, so please bear with me. My name is Leo. I'm currently about 14 years old at the time of writing this, but this happened to my parents about three years ago. It was the month of May, and one night my parents and I had just finished unpacking our luggage. It was our summer vacation, and we decided to spend it in my mom's hometown in Mexico. Now, this area in Mexico has a lot of bad rep for countless cartels, drug deals, and also famous Mexican drug lords, but that's not the point. The point is that the crime rate isn't as high as it used to be, but when things did happen, it usually didn't end good, like blood splatter or multiple knife wounds good. But hey, even from a bad rep, it was still a pretty beautiful place with many attractions. We came from pretty far away, so we were too tired to check out the plaza, or even the little stand shops at the time, but that's not too relevant. Let's cut forward about a week later, and my uncle and aunt from my dad's side of the family had called him to arrange a visit, since we were close to them. Now, remember when I said that we live far away? Yeah, I wasn't kidding about that. We live all the way in California, and we traveled by car, which is about two days out on the road. Of course, my dad took some breaks so the drive wasn't as heavy, but nevertheless, it was still one hell of a ride. Because of this reason though, many of the familiars on my dad's side of the family can't even visit us. Either they don't have the time or it's just way too far away. Now, as you can guess, my dad of course said yes to the opportunity, mainly because of the reasons I just mentioned. This kinda bothered me though because it was my least favorite uncle and aunt. Like, I mean literally least favorite. The ones that constantly boss you around to bring them this or that, and always force you to do favors that you don't want to do. As you can imagine though, 
It was absolutely hell during those two weeks that they stayed with us. But when the day came for them to leave, they had accidentally missed the bus to go back to their city. So, my dad being the really kind person that he is, offered to give them a ride back to their city. The city was about five hours away from where we were staying, so I didn't go with them. However, my mom did, which led me to stay with my grandma. It was a pretty chill and smooth ride, exclaimed my dad. He was pretty pumped up that night from the two energy drinks that he had before the drive, so nothing really bothered him. That is, until about four hours into the drive, almost arriving into the city. My mom had started to notice about three men that was right up ahead by a glimmer of light right in the middle of the road. Thinking they were army men checking for unusual activity like they typically do in the booths, she had told my dad to start to slow down. As they began to slow down, both my parents had then started to notice that they didn't even have any army suits or anything representing a government official, not even a badge. Upon seeing this, my dad had sped up, assuming it was just a couple of drunk guys hanging out from one of the two houses on the side. Well, that assumption was soon erased when those same three men then chased after them. That's when shit got real. My dad now noticing this absolutely floored it. He cranked up the manual transmission all the way up, all the while my mom, aunt, and uncle were totally shitting bricks when they then noticed an object fly in the air. That same object was a metal ball. It hit the front windshield of the car, almost shattering it upon impact. Now, the car that my dad was driving wasn't really the strongest. It was a 2009 Volkswagen Jetta with a defective windshield. My dad actually had to get that windshield fixed like multiple times, even including one where a stick hit it. Can you believe that? A freaking stick. Anyways, my mom noticing the metal ball then totally flipped shit and started panicking. My dad got into a state of shock and before he knew it, he was then hitting the road around 160 miles per hour. Because of this, one of the tires ended up popping on a ditch that they also miraculously passed through while heading towards the exit to go to the city. My dad didn't slow down until he finally reached it and even so, after they got to my aunt's and uncle's home, all my dad could muster was, what the hell just happened? My aunt then noticing his shocked expression, offered to let my dad and my mom stay the night since it was obviously the best choice at the time. They both agreed and first thing in the morning, my dad then got the windshield and the tire immediately fixed. So I guess that was that. Apart from the nightmares my parents had, nothing else has happened since then. Everything resumed back to normal, but if there's one piece of advice I could ever give you, it's to never, and I mean ever, go to Mexico cities during the night. It's way less risky that way and much less common for you to get jumped or robbed. Just don't do it. So this happened back in 2008. My girlfriend and I were taking a vacation to Ocean City, Maryland. We live in north central Pennsylvania, so it's at least a six hour drive based on our directions, which were printed from MapQuest. I didn't have a GPS at the time. We were making good time when we were approaching Route 1, which seemed to come up sooner on the directions. My girlfriend told me that it wasn't the right route and it would be up ahead. Instead, I was really stubborn and then took the exit to get on Route 1. That was a really big mistake and I wish that I had listened to her from the beginning. We ended up in Baltimore in a rundown section of the city. There was a man riding a bike real fast who almost hit us that for some odd reason seemed to be shouting at us. 
Then we went through a street where a really small child was playing with a fire hydrant. I started to slow down as soon as I saw him and then he stopped playing with the hydrant and motioned for me to go. Just as I did, that's when he began playing with it yet again. Water had then shot all over the front of my car. It felt like I was getting a car wash but without my consent. There were others nearby when this occurred but no one seemed to even think anything of what this little boy just did to a passerby. As soon as I was done using my wipers, I continued on, knowing that it's probably better not to say anything which might just lead to trouble. Now, I was starting to get really nervous because I didn't know where we were going and how to get to the beach from here. I was at a red light and there was this disheveled old woman who came up to my window asking if she could have a sandwich. My girlfriend was becoming hysterical by this point. I decided to ignore the woman who was obviously homeless and once the light turned green, we continued on. Getting really frustrated, I decided to call home hoping to reach one of my parents for help. Maybe they could help navigate me to the right direction from here. My brother answered and sensed that I was worried. He tried to help us, but unfortunately, we were still pretty lost. We went through its whole booth toward I-95 and asked the employee operators for directions. They said them so fast though that I wasn't able to get everything down. This was just totally not turning out to be our day. Somehow I managed to backtrack and we ended up going through that awful part of the city again and back to our correct route. We finally managed to get to Ocean City without any further incident by nightfall. We lost about two hours of drive time but thankfully we were safe and we enjoyed the rest of our vacation time. The drive home went much smoother. This had to have been one of the worst experiences I've ever had while going on vacation. I definitely learned to follow the directions as indicated whenever I go anywhere, and to not ever take any shortcuts unless I absolutely know where I'm going. And I really advise you to do the same. My uncle once told me this story about him and his wife when they were on their honeymoon about two decades ago. He said that they had rented a hotel for the night, and once they were about to sleep, they had started to smell a really weird odor, and the bed felt really squishy. My uncle, who I'll now refer to as Eric, called the person in charge of the lobby and requested someone to clean their room early in the morning. Eric was having trouble falling asleep while his wife, who I'll now refer to as Jessica, was already sleeping. Eric decided to take a shower. He grabbed a blanket and decided to sleep on the floor. The very next morning, Eric and Jessica went into the lobby and requested for a manager. Once when the person in charge in the lobby finally called their manager, Eric told them that the room smelled really weird and he would really like a new one. The manager told Eric that all of the rooms were currently occupied, but that he would send a janitor to clean out the room. Eric agreed with this, and him and Jessica then headed out to go spend the day together. Once it was getting a little late, they had got to their room. Jessica had told Eric that she was going to take a shower, so Eric said okay and while he was on the phone with someone, there was that same nasty odor yet again. Being really frustrated, he wanted to find out exactly where that odor was coming from, so he decided to check the cabinets and everything else. That's when he then got near the bed and noticed that the odor was really strong now. He removed the first mattress and then to his horror, he started to scream. That's when he then saw that there had been a dead body underneath the mattress that entire time. He said that the guy looked around his late 30s. 
Eric grabbed the phone from the room and locked himself in the bathroom where his wife was taking a shower. That's when Jessica asked him if everything was okay and why he was screaming. Right at that moment, my uncle Eric then passed out. Jessica had to get out of the shower and call 911. Eric had to go to the hospital, but he ended up being okay. The police were already at the hotel questioning the staff on what happened, but they never found the murderer. To this day, it still really makes them sick to their stomach thinking of how they slept on a dead body. That's pretty much the end of it. Eric and Jessica eventually just went to their home and decided to call it a night. They never heard back from the police, and to this day, they still have no idea who was responsible for the body. While vacationing in Hawaii, I witnessed what seemed to be a terrifying crime in progress. My husband and I went to Oahu for a six-day trip in November of 2019. For the most part, we had a pretty marvelous time, enjoying the humid weather, swimming in clear waters, taking challenging hikes, and really enjoying the sights of paradise. Of course, I thought the trip would almost be ruined because I then came down with a pretty bad 24-hour flu on our second day there, and it was during this oncoming sickness that I had saw the terrifying sight. It was mid-afternoon. We were actually in Honolulu having finished a trip to the Diamond Head Crater Park. By the time we had left, I was really feeling awful achy, feverish, and just a general uneasiness. We decided to stop at one of the 7-Eleven gas stations in Honolulu so that my husband could get us drinks and, for me, medication. The gas station sat next to a one-way street, and our Jeep rental was parallel to the street some 100 feet away. I sat in the Jeep, my head against the window, just wishing that this stupid flu would just go away so that I could enjoy my vacation. Because it was really hot and humid, the windows were down so I could hear all of the noises of the traffic and any passerbys. As I had started to wallow in the misery of my sickness, I had then heard some yelling from right outside to my left. I had then looked up, scanning the area around me to see where the noise was coming from, and when I looked over to the street, I then saw something that would absolutely shock me. There was a dark gray sedan sat at the red stoplight. A woman tried desperately to jump out of the car's passenger side, the door wide open and her feet flailing in the midair as she tried to untangle herself from the seat belt. A man wearing a really dark shirt and a goatee then yelled as he reached over her and then pulled her towards him in the car. I saw her scream as she tried to fight him and push him away, one of her flip-flop shoes then falling off in the process. He still pulled her back in even as he yelled something back at her. You need to understand that this incident and what I did next then occurred in a matter of about 15 or 20 seconds, but it seemed like time slowed down. Upon seeing this unfold right before me, I had then concluded with horror that this woman was being kidnapped. In that split second, something inside of me just came alive and I jumped out of the jeep, determined to grab her and help her get out. Just anything I could do to help her. I sprinted across the gas station lot and into the street toward the sedan at top speed, then gaining around. But at this point, the man had yanked her fully into the car before shutting the passenger door really quickly and pulling away. The light had turned green and now the sedan had then sped off, then leaving me behind even as I ran after it. It quickly turned around the corner a block away and I was no match for its speed, but I was able to get the first three letters of the license plate. Unable to keep up with the car, 
I slowed to a stop and now jumped on the sidewalk to see if anyone else had noticed. A couple about 10 feet to my right had seen the whole thing go down, and they stared after the vehicle totally puzzled. No longer did I feel lethargic with illness, but now adrenaline pumping through me, then intermixed with fear and panic for this woman. What if she had been snatched off the street? What if this was the last time anyone ever saw her alive? I had then looked around to see if anyone had begun to call the police or if there were any conversations about what had happened. I asked the couple near me if they had called the cops. They hadn't. So I ran back to the Jeep, grabbed my phone, and called 911. I'm sure that I sounded panicked and distraught as I relayed what I saw to the dispatcher, who had then calmly mentioned that they had already received a call about that same sedan and that someone was on their way right before hanging up on me. A few minutes later, my husband returned to the Jeep, and that's when I told him everything that happened. There was another woman, a patron who had been at the same gas station that came up to our Jeep, and then showed me that she had actually recorded that whole incident on her phone. We ended up calling the police yet again. A female police officer then showed up about 10 minutes later. The other young woman explained about the video, and I told her in detail what I had witnessed. I even gave her the license plate number and told her where the car had turned. The female officer remained unusually calm and almost nonchalant about it, as she told me that the police had already received multiple calls about the sedan and the couple arguing inside of it. She went on to say that the couple was just beefing, that basically they were just arguing and causing a scene while driving around Honolulu. I stood there just absolutely shocked at what I heard. That terrifying scene of a woman desperately trying to escape? You're telling me that was just a mere domestic dispute? And the female officer, just like the dispatcher, then spoke about this as if it was no big deal. Part of me wondered if the laid-back attitude expected of Hawaii citizens had seeped into law enforcement. Part of me wondered if I had reacted dramatically. And part of me still wonders about this woman's safety. Domestic disputes have often become really violent, and people have died because of it. I couldn't help but wonder if more should have been done about it. Or maybe that was just it. That they were doing all that they could do and just needed to disassociate themselves from any kind of emotion so that they could do their job. Anyways, the police eventually left after that and my husband and I continued on our way. I did get over my flu and we really enjoyed the rest of the trip. Months later, I still sometimes think about the incident. Even though it was, as the cops said, just a simple dramatic domestic dispute, it was still absolutely frightening to see a woman trying to escape and then being pulled into a car like that. That's the kind of thing you see in nightmares, and I can only imagine the terror of being unable to escape from something that's terrorizing you. Maybe they really were just having couples beef. However, if it was more than that, I really do hope she managed to get away and is somewhere safe now and that she hasn't become another tragic domestic violence statistic. I just really hope that's not the case. Back during the summer of 2017, a group of around a dozen peers pitched in for a house to get away and celebrate a birthday. A basic residential area around a semi-rural lake near Shelton, Washington. The house had a separate garage with a few beds where myself and a few others were sleeping that night. The house set above a lake with a deck as well as a little pier down in the water. After a pretty long day of cooking, drinking, and playing some games, it was then time to crash around 2am. 
With more people than there were beds, some were on couches and even on the floor in the living room. Folks had been drinking fairly heavily, and they were out cold. Right around 3.30am, I woke up with a need to go and use the bathroom. As I'm putting on my pants, I noticed out the window the long diffuse shadow of a person moving in some light right on the street outside. I didn't really think too much of it at the time. Probably just somebody walking their dog, I thought. I made the walk across the driveway with the key in hand and noticed that the door is totally unlocked. I go in to find a friend checking their phone in that really drunken daze after only a short amount of sleep. Really confused, he then asked, Um, weren't you just in here? I tell him no and they ask if anyone else from the garage was out of bed. I say no yet again and my buddy shook it off, albeit super confused. Confused as well and kind of amused, I did my business and returned back to bed, locking the door right behind me. During the next morning, all of us were awake and in the main space cooking some breakfast and enjoying the sunshine. Two of my other friends who were a couple asked if there was any open windows in the house last night, as one of them was convinced that a draft opened their door from a cracked position. Their bedroom was at the back of the house past at least five other people sleeping in the living room and two other bedrooms. There was one open window but no others in the house, so I'm not really sure about a draft. So remember the guy I had spoken to during my bathroom trip? Well, he piped in to ask if they know what time this happened. They said right around 3.30, right when he thought he saw me walk through the house and when I saw the shadow moving down the street. We all totally got chills when all of these details came to bear. It was right then that somebody had brought up a Twitter or Facebook post about how somebody had reportedly been breaking into homes in the area and literally doing it for like months. We never ended up reporting anything as we weren't really sure that this is what happened. Turns out though that the guy was a pervert and just liked to watch women sleep. Now, all of these events could totally just be a coincidence, but looking back these years later, I'm pretty convinced that our rental was victimized by this creep. Nobody in our group was armed and I'm not even sure if there was even a security system. Also, I'm pretty fairly confident that I'm not the one who left the door unlocked. So yeah, pretty damn creepy. About eight months ago, we had had a series of break-ins in my apartment complex. I usually never have my door locked because, well, they're manual locks and I just always seem to forget. Stupid, I know. Well, one day as I got home from work, I had saw a van that was parked next to me with its door wide open. A man had came down the sidewalk and then he said, Is this your van? I just kind of shook my head and told him I didn't know whose it was. Well, it's definitely not a good idea to leave your cars unlocked or open with what's been happening lately. He then turned to walk away and just told me to stay safe. Fast forward to about 12am. I had told our roommate that our dogs needed to go outside, so I'd be right back. I walked behind the apartment to where the doggy bag station was. Right across the yard, I could see a black figure standing underneath the streetlight. It was just staring at me. My dogs had started to growl a little bit and then just started eyeing him. As I turned to go back, the figure also turned. I walked around to the front when I then saw the figure up front as well, 
just a little bit closer this time. It was now that I was starting to get a little concerned. As I started walking toward my apartment, he did the same, walking in my direction. I stopped, he stopped. My neighbor came downstairs and headed to work. He told me to have a good night and I told him the same. I used this conversation to make it upstairs and then run inside and lock the door. My roommate was still out for the night, so I just decided to sleep in the living room. I was watching TV when I then heard my front door handle start to be jiggled around. That's when my dog then started going insane with a lot of barking, and then suddenly, I then saw a black figure hurl jump down the stairs. It made such a loud thump that it actually shook the apartment. I watched him look around really quickly, and as he looked at my apartment, that's when I realized that it was the very same man who had asked me about the van previously. I constantly wonder what would have happened if I had not been in the living room when I was, or if my neighbor hadn't come down the stairs. It's really creepy to think about. At the time of this story, I was about five to six months pregnant. I worked at a car parts store. Nine years of my life has been working with car parts, and as a female, we meet some pretty creepy characters. If they didn't ride out ass to speak to a man, they'd be trying to talk down to you because apparently women don't know mechanics. That's just the South for ya. We had one regular customer that pretty much came in almost every day. He was a backyard mechanic. Now, if you don't know what that means, it just means that he would rig stuff and always overcharge for like the dumbest things. We called him Barefoot because, well, he always came in barefoot. I had spoken to this man many times and he always gave me really creepy vibes. Like, don't leave your kids alone around him kind of creepy. One day I answered the phone and it was him. He had called in to see if his part had came in. No problem. I put him on hold and then went to check. When I get back to tell him it was in, I picked up the phone and I then heard him talking to someone else. Not wanting to be rude, I just listened and waited for him to be done. That's when he then said something that made me want to vomit. He said that he couldn't wait to catch me alone so that he could get my number and that he also had intentions of me orally pleasing him to completion. He said it in a really nasty way, but I'm sure you get the gist of it. I immediately hung up on him and told one of my bosses in case he called back and said something about being hung up on. But of course, at that point, nothing could really be done. Well, about two days later, he had came in right as I was walking out, and he then started to scream about how he liked my ass. At that point, I then turned around and went over to my boss over the last boss. But once again, they said nothing could be done. This sort of thing kind of happened a few more times. I once saw him actually creeping around my car, but since he didn't do anything, once again, there was nothing they could do. After about three weeks of him just catcalling and getting away with being crude, he then took it up a notch. One day he came in and walked straight to where I was and started asking about parts. As I start to look up what he needs, he grabs my hand and then whispers to me, Look, I don't care if you want it. I'm gonna screw you. 
Now, it didn't immediately register to my mind what he had just said because, I mean, who says things like that? As soon as it sunk in what he said, I walked away to the back and absolutely refused to come out until he was gone. Now, they could do something about it, right? Nope. My district supervisor actually happened to be there that day, and I then explained to him what was going on with the guy. And his first question? Well, does he buy a lot around here? I honestly don't know why I never told my husband about any of this, but I felt like my place of employment was really failing me, and I was scared. About two days after that, I had went outside to my car because I forgot my name tag. Guess who was waiting for me right on the side of the building? Yep, barefoot. I barely saw him out of the corner of my eye before his hands were on me. He had yanked my arm so hard that I fell to the ground and then he pounced. He had started to cover my mouth while then fondling my breasts. His face was inches from mine when he then spat out. I got you now. I was very pregnant and really scared. All I could think of was trying not to freak out to the point that I went into premature labor. Right at that moment, I just knew that the worst was about to happen right in broad daylight. By the grace of whatever power you believe in, one of my coworkers was coming out for a smoke. She always went on the other side of the building to do her smoking, but for whatever reason, on that day she decided to switch it up, which I found out later that she was actually just checking on me because I was taking too long. She then screamed at him, and it was enough to get him to run off, hop into a car that he had parked right next to mine, and then pill out. I would really like to say that my place of employment was really great, and they sent me to the doctor to get checked out. But they didn't. They said that all they could do was just to tell the guy not to come back. I'm not ashamed to say that I actually cried for hours after this incident. But let's be honest, who wouldn't? I'm 21 years old now, but this happened to me when I was 17. I was in high school at the time, and I always walked to and from school. I didn't take the bus because, well, I was bullied a lot, so I didn't really have any other transportation. One day I was walking to school when this white van had pulled off to the side of me, and a guy that looked about his late 30s then rolled down his window, and then he asked, Hey, do you need a ride? I know that you're in the 11th grade and that you go to that school over there. Now, I was really confused of how he knew where I went to school and especially what grade I was in. I told the man no thanks and just kept walking. After that, he never appeared again until next week coming back from school. It had started to rain but not too much, so I still had a chance to get home and not be wet. As I was walking home once again, the same guy pulled over his van right next to me. And once again, he had asked if I needed a ride. I told him no thanks and just kept walking. As I was walking, I then heard a car door open, then slam shut. I had turned around and the guy was out of his vehicle and was starting to walk towards me. I couldn't really do anything other than just stare at him. Right at that moment, I heard an old neighbor of ours then say, Oh, hey, Ashley, can you help me with something in the garden? Also, why didn't you show up at work yesterday? I knew at that exact moment what he was doing, so I just started to walk to him. And with that, the guy got to his car and then left like nothing ever happened. 
I had thanked the old man for helping me out and soon after I arrived at my house. The next day, I actually saw in a news report that the guy had been arrested for attacking and stalking other teenage girls. I was in complete shock when I saw the guy in the photo. I immediately told my mom about it, but since the police had already caught the guy, we couldn't really do anything else. After all of that happened, my mom started to take me to school pretty much every day and always picked me up. I sometimes still wonder though, what would have happened if that old man wasn't there to possibly save my life? It's really scary to think about. I would like to share a really horrible experience that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. My name is Seagal, and I live in an urban area with lots of people on the same ethnic background as me. It's a relatively safe place aside from the street gangs that are slowly but surely starting to die down. To start off, me and my brother and father all live in this two-bedroom apartment, which is kind of hard to access if you don't live there. There's multiple guards who secure the area, since there are six different apartments in the entire premises, ranging from 1 to 39 floors. The apartment doors are pretty heavy and hard to break down, and they're only accessible to people who have keys for them. My family and I always keep the door closed, and we put the chain in as an extra line of security. I reside in the tallest building. Anyways, I'm always home alone since my dad goes to work, and my brother's usually at my uncle's house for most of the day. About two weeks before this incident, I had noticed that there was this man who was always giving me eye contact, and sometimes followed me close behind whenever I left to go home to buy things. Whenever we crossed paths, he would always tell me how pretty I am and how he would love to do inappropriate things to me if I was his girl. He would always follow me inside the apartments and wouldn't even press a floor until I asked him where he was headed. To which he always replied, Hmm? Oh, I'm going to that floor. And always pressed the floor below mine. I got so irritated with him always following me every time I saw him, so I mustered up the courage to ask him why the hell he was following me all the time. He just told me that he wasn't and some bullcrap excuse to get me off his back, but I didn't believe it. He kept on with it and I just got tired of it, cursed him out, and told him that I was going to report it to the police if he didn't leave me alone. Well, he didn't really seem to like what I had said. He proceeded to look at me with pure anger in his eyes. Instead, I decided to report it to the guards, which I immensely regret still to this day and always will. When I did report it to them, they said that they would take care of it. Anyways, fast forward to the day that this all took place. I had came home around 8pm and my dad wasn't home so I locked the door and I didn't put the chain on it because my dad was going to be coming home late. This was a really bad idea seeing that I could have just stayed up until my dad came home and then unlocked it myself. It was only my older brother and myself. My dad had called me and let me know earlier that day that he wouldn't be home that night until around 1am. I dozed off at around 12am and that's when I awoke to some kind of noise in my room. It was kind of like a shoe hitting the edge of an object. Now, I have a really extreme paranoia whenever it comes to dark spaces, so I kept my light on. The headboard of my bed has a light that's very dim, so I decided to keep that one on instead of my bright lamp. Like I was saying, I awoke to some noise that night and slowly started opening my eyes. I had a really huge blanket over my eyes and body, so I could only see a little bit. So, for example, if a person were standing a few feet away from me, 
they couldn't see that I had my eyes open. So when I did open my eyes, I could slightly see a figure in the corner of my room clear as day. And it was the man. It was that same man that was following me. I started to panic really bad and my heart rate started to go up really fast. However, I decided to just act like I was asleep. I could make out the large object that he had in his hand to be a sledgehammer. The handle of it was about the same size as a ruler. I have a few drawers on the left and right side of my bed attached to the headboard and I had a really small but sharp knife on the left side drawer, which at the time was facing my back and away from him, so he wasn't able to see it. The man started to creep over to me with the object in his right hand. He set it down on the larger drawer which was facing his back. He then proceeded to move my blanket from the lower side of my body and then started groping me. I was about to cry. I slowly but surely had moved over to the left side of the bed, acting as if I was still asleep and that my body was just adjusting itself. I guess he didn't want my body to be moving at all because I saw that he started reaching for the hammer and probably thought that hitting me with it would just defuse the problem. He succeeded because as I was scrambling out of my bed, he had actually managed to hit me right on the side of my temple with it. Right then, I immediately hit my back against the wall from all of the dizziness. I grabbed the knife and then shouted for my brother at the top of my lungs. He leapt across the bed and then charged at me yet again, but I clutched the knife harder and stabbed him between the area where his shoulder and neck met, which then led him to yell, and very loudly. My brother bursted into the room and then tackled him onto the floor and then started aggressively beating the life out of him. I proceeded to stumble towards him, grab the hammer, and then hit him on his head as hard as I could. He was out cold. I snatched my phone off the bed, called 911, and explained the whole ordeal while my brother had him pinned to the ground. Then I called the security guards who then contained him while the police were on their way. Then I called my dad while crying and telling him what had happened. The cops had arrived minutes later and they arrested him. My dad came home right away and caught a glimpse of the man. He was returning back to consciousness and actually tried attacking him while then cursing and threatening him in our language. My brother literally had to pull my dad away from attacking the man. My dad came inside to find me curled up on the floor, crying uncontrollably. He started comforting me while holding my head to his chest to calm me down. After all of this happened, my dad took me to the hospital. They said that I would be fine though. The one thing about this that I'll never understand is how he even got through my front door then my bedroom door so quietly and then managed to shut it without a sound as well as how my brother, who was awake at the time, didn't even hear him coming in. I always wonder if I hadn't awoke that night what would have happened to me, and what would have happened if my brother wasn't there. I'm just really happy I never have to find out. Here's a little bit of backstory before I begin. So, the story happened when I was around 22 years old. For perspective, I'm a female who had been in the same relationship for about two years. I had been in a secret relationship with my boss. He was much older than me and I was really starting to get bored of the relationship. He was around 37 years old and well, he didn't have much of a libido. Now, I'm a very adventurous and sexual person and I started to realize that I wouldn't be happy staying with him since our love life had pretty much fallen right down the crapper. I still felt like I loved him, but I was always really curious on what I was missing out on. 
He often worked mornings and I worked nights, so there was only about a two-hour overlap where I would see him at work. Other than that, he was almost always asleep by the time I got home. I had seriously started to lack the kind of love and affection that I would require to continue on with that relationship. I also really enjoyed going out to bars and socializing with people of all ages, especially since I was getting no type of excitement at home. Now, I've never told anyone about this experience because I know if any of my family knew about it, they would probably be pretty upset. My father is a sheriff, and I know that they would disapprove of my decisions. My mother has never been a fan of me going out to bars, and she's always warned me about not leaving with people that I didn't know. But since I was getting so bored with my life, I said screw it, and I just did what I wanted. I still think about this experience a lot, and it really makes me glad that I'm able to share my story to this day, knowing what all of the outcomes could have been. Now that all of that's out of the way, here's the story. One night after a really long shift, I went straight to a local bar to have a couple of beers and socialize. I oddly really love going to bars by myself for a lot of reasons, but mostly I just know how to take care of myself and I like making my own decisions on things. So I was sitting there at the bar by myself just drinking a beer and staring at my phone. I would almost always acquire company even if I went by myself. Being a young girl in my 20s with long blonde hair, and I was pretty friendly. So there I was by myself. The bar wasn't empty though. I noticed that there was some kind of company get-together mostly comprised of adult men right behind me, and they seemed to be drinking and having a good time. I didn't associate myself with the group and just sat there drinking and on my phone. All of a sudden, there was a rather large man, maybe in his 40s, sitting next to me and trying to start up a conversation. I wouldn't have considered him attractive, but I'm not the one to shoot down a conversation with a stranger just for that reason alone. He was asking me all of the basic usual questions, and he seemed friendly enough. He also had a friend with him that came up behind him and also engaged in conversation with us. This man looked a little younger and more attractive than the first man. All three of us conversed, and it was pretty obvious that they were involved with the company party happening behind me. I thought the men were nice, but I still tried to pick up on people's intentions and tried to keep that in mind. I thought the men were nice, but I still tried to pick up on people's intentions, and I just tried to keep that in mind. Both of the men tried to get me to leave with them. Even though I was flattered, I turned down their proposal, telling them that I was in a relationship and that I really wasn't interested in anything. They said it was okay and still talked to me. They then went on to tell me that they were actually at a hotel nearby, and that if I was willing to go with them, they had dabs back at their hotel room that they were willing to share. I was very aware of the dangers and I denied them multiple times. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a stoner chick and I love getting lit, but not with strangers so late at night while I was alone. They were really persistent though. Being the young ignorant girl that I was, eventually I decided I would be adventurous and just try and go with them. That's when I told them that I was only interested in the dabs. I would go with them but I wasn't going to be sleeping with either of them. They said that we were only going to do dabs, nothing more, and they seemed very excited that I caved and agreed to go with them. So we packed up all of our stuff and started leaving the bar. One of their co-workers actually tried to come running after us asking if he could tag along. Both of the men told him no and that he would have to stay. 
The man who was trying to come then became bitter and then yelled out after us as we left the bar. Alright, but you better send me pictures. Right then and there, all of a sudden, I got a really bad feeling. I felt a shiver up my spine and I could hear both of the men chuckling while walking with me. I then stated for a second time very clearly that I was not going to be sleeping with either of them, to which they both said they knew. I started to feel like I was making a really bad decision but just continued on. I have no idea why. Maybe because I had already committed to going and I was already on the street with two very large men that I didn't know. We walked to the hotel and my feeling of discomfort started to swell up inside of me. We didn't say much while we walked. We made it to the hotel and stood in the elevator. A hundred different thoughts then started to run through my mind. I had started to think about all of the different outcomes of how the situation was going to play out and I started to panic. Afraid of what would happen if I all of a sudden decided to run. We had walked down the hallways right toward their room and I noticed them glancing at each other. What am I doing? What am I thinking? Where are they going to find my body? All of these questions and even more running through my mind. I couldn't help but imagine going into their room and having it all be set up like an episode of Dexter or something. But when we arrived at the room, it was totally normal. The first guy sat at the desk and dug out a backpack from under the table, then started pulling out his dab equipment. But I had noticed the other guy seemed very fidgety. He stood next to one of the beds, just watching me. I'm not gonna lie, I felt incredibly uncomfortable. But being the quiet, soft-spoken person that I was, I stood there and said nothing. I decided to take a position next to the desk, leaning against the wall. I really can't remember either of their names, but for the sake of the story, let's call the man serving the dabs Jack and the more slender, sketchier one Frank. We were having a pretty normal conversation and I had already been given around four dabs and was feeling pretty high. I had started to notice that Frank was inching closer and closer to me, and that's when the content of our conversation then started to take a completely different turn. Jack seemed pretty laid back just taking dabs, but Frank was getting closer and closer by the minute. They tried talking to me about my boyfriend. Now, I had no intention on cheating on him, and I've never cheated on any of my boyfriends throughout my whole life. I definitely wasn't going to start now. They had started asking me if I was happy, if I was bored, and what I liked to do sexually, and what they liked to do sexually. I was incredibly uncomfortable. Frank was all of a sudden right next to me with his arm leaning against the wall just inches above my head. I started stuttering and I couldn't think straight. I was afraid to tell him to back off in fear of creating an even more uncomfortable situation. My heart was pounding so fast that all I could think about was getting overpowered and then taken advantage of. I then started saying that I should probably go home now and they both just started asking me questions about why I'm in such an unsatisfying relationship. All I could think about was how I was going to get out of this crazy situation. I can't really remember all of the different things that they made me talk about, but I was very unnerved. Jack could tell that I wasn't feeling good about things and ended up telling Frank to back off. Frank took a couple of steps back and had then went silent for a few moments. Then Frank asked me if I wanted him to go down on me. Instantly, I felt absolutely infuriated. I said that I wanted to go home immediately. Jack stood up and then they both stared right at me. 
I knew that whatever was going to happen was about to happen, and I braced myself for anything. Jack then stood in front of the door, and they both just looked at me. Jack then said, You can leave, but only if you tell us you don't want us to go down on you. I felt my blood run cold, and both of my hands then formed into fists, and I straightened my arms out at both sides. I felt like I almost yelled, and I think I startled the both of them. Look, I don't want you to go down on me. Right after that, I made my way to the door. I walked over towards Jack, who was over three times my size, and stared him in the eye. I think then and there, they both saw how serious and angry I was. Jack stood off to the side, and he finally let me through the door. I was waiting for one of them to grab me, but it never happened. I was then outside the door, and it closed behind me. I decided to run down that hotel hallway at probably about 2 in the morning. Besides standing in the elevator, I ran all the way to my car, jumped inside of it, drove home, fighting back tears along the way. I snuck into my house and walked into my bedroom. My boyfriend passed out in bed. I laid down next to him and pretty much just laid there for hours just staring at my ceiling with wide eyes. I never told my boyfriend about my experience. The story deeply affected me because I can't help but thinking that because of my decisions to do something dumb and have a good time, I put myself in apparent danger and I've always been very careful ever since. The story is for anyone who thinks that nothing bad can happen to them and even though the story could have turned out differently, that thought has been the downfall for many people and I won't soon forget. Please everyone, just be careful. Okay, so when I was about 15 years old, I used to go for walks on a path that was going around this really small lake with my dad. We would walk for exercise and to spend time together. Once I turned 16, my dad had started working nights, so he wasn't able to go on our evening walks. I started going with one of my friends named Carla. She told me that there was a park by our house that we could walk at. I figured that a change of scenery would be really cool, even if it was on the tougher side of town. The park was nice. It had lots of big trees and had forests going all around it. I would park my car at her house and we would walk to the park together. One day while we were walking, Carla got a call from her sister saying she needed to get home because they were about to leave. We said our goodbyes and I decided to go around the track just one more time. While I was walking, I saw one of those vans that didn't have any windows on the back half of it. You know... Like the kind that you think about when you think of the stereotypical kidnapper van with the sliding door. That one. Well, it then pulls up right next to me. The passenger was a woman and she was asking me for directions back to the highway. Still standing on the track, I gave her the directions. She apologized saying she couldn't hear me and asked if I could come a little closer to the van. Nope. I wasn't about to do that. I've watched Criminal Minds, lady. I'm totally not falling for that. Still standing on the back track, I just began yelling the directions to her once again. She had then stared at me with a really wide-eyed blank stare before telling me thank you and slowly driving off. I felt a little creeped out but just continued walking. The walk went pretty uneventful for a while until I got to the edge of the side where the forest ended. There was a parking lot and that same van was now there. I could see the woman looking at me and the driver was a man. 
I presume he was looking at me as well, but he had sunglasses on, so I couldn't really tell. I looked a little bit harder, and that's when I noticed that there was someone in the back of the van. Nope. I ran across the park all the way back to my friend's house without ever looking back. My friend and her family were still gone, so I got in my car and took off. When I drove past the park, the van was gone. I honestly don't know if they were really just a lost family or something far worse, but I'm just really glad I never found out. For some background, I'm a college-aged woman who lives alone. Earlier tonight, I was on my couch putting out a term paper for my feminist literature class. Well, being the naive idiot that I am, I left my door unlocked. I was totally in the zone and it's pretty noisy when my neighbors go in and out, so I didn't really think much of the footsteps and opening door, that is, until they got louder. I called out, Um, hello? and then turned around to see a really tall 40-something-year-old bearded man with a backpack, and he was literally just standing in the entryway to my living room. Being hopped up on coffee and being a naturally anxious person, I started to panic and then froze. The guy then said, Sorry to scare you, honey. Don't worry, I'm not here to kill you or anything. I'm looking for Peter. I tell him that Peter lives in the apartment across from me, hoping that will get him out. Instead, however, he walks into my living room and then the kitchen, poking around things and manages to tip right over my surfboard. He tries to make conversation with me and asks if I have any cigarettes. I tell him I don't and try to usher him out of my apartment, but he keeps asking if I have a boyfriend and what I'm making. I had some bread rising on my counter. Finally, I get him towards the door and point him in the direction of Peter's flat. He tried to give me a hug and he told me that I was a really lovely girl. I assume he's harmless, but still, I'm definitely going to be locking my door from here on out. My name is Amber and when I was small, around 8-9 to nine years old, I lived in an apartment complex. It was the type where all of the kids knew each other and would always come outside to play. There was me and about five others that always hung out in a group, and out of the group there was a girl named Lana. Me and Lana were the closest, like BFFs kind of close. So if anything would ever happen in the group, me and her would always be the first ones to have each other's backs. It was me, Lana, Isaac, Sylvia, Vivian, and Heather, who was Vivian's little sister. I'm going to describe the way my apartment building is set up because it'll be helpful for the story. I live on the second floor of my apartment, so my bedroom window was facing the parking lot. Since I was on the second floor, my bedroom window was able to see the parking lot and the brick wall that separated the other house's backyards. Every morning, I would be woken up to dogs barking from one of the houses. It was so annoying and I heard it constantly. This had caused a lot of curiosity for my 8-year-old self, who at the time really loved dogs and was a dog sitter and walker as well. I decided to tell Lana about it and said that I felt bad because the dogs were always tied up with no bowls or anything around them. Lana had suggested that maybe we should tell our other friends to come up with something and that maybe we can get a better view from Sylvia's house since she lived on the end of the apartments that I lived in. We all met up and we had showed them the dogs from her window and we told them our idea. They agreed so Vivian decided to go get some dog food from her house since she had a dog too. 
me and Lana decided to go get some water bottles. Right before we get to the wall, right before we got to the wall, Sylvia said she couldn't go because her mom was coming home, so she just ended up staying. We were all pretty set and ready to go, thinking we were about to do something good, when obviously we were going to be completely wrong. We hopped over the wall and saw the dogs. There was four of them. Every single one of them were skinny and very untaken care of. The backyard was a total wreck. There was wasted tires, papers, dried up grass, long pieces of wood, and just a total mess. Isaac went towards the back door of the house while Vivian was scoping out the dogs. Her sister just kept saying that she just didn't have a good idea about being in the backyard of someone else's home. Me and Lana kind of just looked at each other and then I said, You know, maybe she's right. We can't be here long. Let's just give them the food and water and get out of here. Vivian said no and that the house looked abandoned. Then her and Isaac decided to walk a little closer to the back door. Lana had then saw that one of the dogs had a tag attached to its collar and it had a number on it. She mentioned it to us and Isaac said to call it. Vivian decided to call but I said no and that it's not a good idea. We just really need to leave. Lana agreed and so did Heather but Vivian and Isaac didn't even budge the option and pretty much just continued to dial the number. Vivian then put the phone on speaker and the next thing I heard scared the absolute crap out of me. A phone started ringing and it was coming from the house. Me and Lana both started backing up slowly when Isaac then said, The house is way too beaten up and the windows are boarded, so how can someone be in there? Vivian started to walk to the windows to look through it, all while her sister told her not to. I looked over to Lana and she looked absolutely terrified. She looked really confused like she just didn't know what to do. That's when she then whispered to me, Dude, we gotta get out of here. I swear there's someone in that house. I told her I know and that I felt it too, and that we should really just leave if anything escalates after this. Right when Isaac had put his ear to the door, the door swung open and we all started running. I yelled at Lana to jump over the trash bucket to jump over, then I'll be right behind her. When she was throwing herself over, I happened to look behind me, and I was so shocked and frozen at what I saw. I saw one man grab Isaac and then another one run after Vivian, all while her sister was hiding behind one of the tires. Lana told me to go before they decided to go after us as well, and that's exactly what we did. We jumped back over and went straight to my house to tell my mom. My mom called the cops and they ended up going to the house, but no one was there. Everything was gone, even the dogs, but Vivian's sister was still hiding. The cops spoke to my parents, but since that day, I haven't been told anything new. I'm 19 years old now, and to this day, me and Lana are still very close. I recently asked my mom about this situation, and she told me Vivian's little sister ended up staying with her parents because she had actually developed a mental disorder, and she couldn't be alone anymore after that. But that's not all. Apparently to this day, Vivian and Isaac have still not been found. At least that she knows of. Me and Lana only talked about it once after it all happened. I still really question it and think about it all the time, but thank God I was able to escape. A couple of years ago, I was visiting a friend abroad, and I stayed at her place that she had just gotten a few days earlier. It was this basement apartment, 
It was halfway underground and there were only a few windows high up on one wall, really close to the ceiling. If you looked outside, you could only see the feet of the people passing by. It wasn't located in the worst area, but still quite a rough neighborhood, so we would often bump into pretty sketchy people. During the early hours after a night out visiting some local bars, we suddenly woke up to a really loud banging sound. Now, it literally felt like the building was going to collapse or something, so me and my friend got really freaked out. We knew that it was more than one person there as they were banging on all three windows and on the door at the same time. We tried yelling at them to stop in like multiple languages, but they just continued to do it. As we carefully peeked through the blinds, we had saw about four people standing there, and right as they had noticed us, one of them got down and then pressed his face right against the window, looking absolutely furious and then shouting at us in Russian, or at least it sounded like it. He had a knife in his hand and he was banging on the window with his fist so hard that I was pretty sure that either his hand or the window was going to break. He looked pretty rough, kind of like one of those guys who's a gangster or in the mafia like you see in the movies. Even though it was a pretty warm night, he was wearing a black leather jacket and sunglasses. I couldn't really see what the other guys looked like, but they were relatively tall and one of them was actually carrying a crowbar, making the entire situation even more terrifying than it already was. As we were trying to make sense on what they were saying and what in the world was happening, Two of the men then started to kick the windows, which luckily still didn't break. However, one of them then got through the main door leading inside the building and was now trying to force open the door that only led into our apartment. He was going completely ballistic and growling and shouting while jumping against the door. At least, that's what it sounded like. As I really didn't want any of them coming through the window or the door, I decided that I was going to try and talk to one of them through the window. And luckily, with the help of Google Translator, we were able to understand each other. Well, kind of. As it turns out, they were looking for some guy who apparently used to live there and owed them some money or something. Now seeing that we were absolutely terrified of them and that clearly neither of us knew the dude they were looking for, the men then apologized and eventually left. Which was kind of weird and actually quite funny, to be honest. During the next morning, we found like 30 cigarette butts and a post-it note with our address as well as like two credit cards that had been cut into halves. The building's front door was actually broken, probably using the crowbar if I had to guess. Although the men left us alone and didn't seem like they were coming back as they quickly realized the guy didn't live there, my friend had got so scared that she decided to move in with her boyfriend who lived on the other side of the city. Everything turned out alright, but I can't remember another time where I was that scared. Also, what if they had managed to get in before we had the chance to explain that we weren't hiding the sketchy-ass dude? It was pretty damn obvious that they weren't there to spread the word of God or discuss politics. So, yeah, we got really lucky, and I'm just really glad we ended up being okay. I'm a 22-year-old female. This happened about two years ago during my sophomore year in university. This was my very first apartment and I was really excited to be in it. My freshman year I had lived in a dorm on campus and before that I lived with my mom, so I had never really lived on my own before. The apartment was a two bedroom, two bathroom and I shared it with my friend who I had known since we were just 13. I had just turned 20 when all of this happened. My friend's name was Josh. 
Josh was my absolute best friend and it was his first year at the university and we pretty much did everything together. Now fast forward to the homecoming football game. We attend a university that's pretty crazy into football and we're actually a pretty good team. So the homecoming game is a pretty big deal to everyone. Josh was so excited to go out because it was his first homecoming game and he was also going with this boy that he started flirting with and he wanted me to come along with them. I don't really remember why I didn't want to go. I just didn't. Josh got mad at me, we said dumb stuff to each other, and he left. So I was pretty much alone for the rest of the night. I had and still do a small dog named Poppy who lived with us. At the time, she was about a year old. We actually had a pretty relaxing night in the beginning. I had took a shower and put on face masks and Poppy and I had watched TV in bed and stuff. I remember listening to a song on repeat like the entire day because that's just what I do whenever I find a song that I really like. To this day, I still can't listen to it without being reminded. We went to sleep around 10pm I think. I wasn't really keeping up with what was going on with the football game, so I really have no idea if it was just ending or whatever. But I knew not to expect Josh home early because he was going out with the guy he was seeing Dylan afterwards. There's a strip of bars along one of the main roads running toward the campus. After the game ended, that's where everyone would be. I don't know what time it was, but I had awoke to cabinets being slammed and really loud noises. It was really dark in my room and the only thing I could see was that the kitchen lights were on. I had saw the light coming through the bottom of the door. It sounded like people were going through our kitchen cabinets one by one. Poppy was at the edge of the bed just barking like crazy. I had never seen her act like this. I was struggling to keep myself awake because I'm a really heavy sleeper and I just knew it wasn't Josh or Dylan. I was struggling to keep myself awake because I'm a really heavy sleeper and I just knew that it wasn't Josh and Dylan, but some really stupid part of me decided to call out. Hello? Anybody there? But it was really weak sounding and I don't really know if they even heard me or not. Right then and there. Suddenly my bedroom door opened. I shot up. Poppy was just snarling and literally trying to lunge at the freaking stranger in my bedroom. I couldn't really see anything because the light from the open door was kind of blinding. I just saw his figure. He was wearing a hoodie and he was just standing there for maybe about 15 seconds and I was just staring at him. The whole time Poppy was trying to mess him up. He quickly closed my door and I don't know why but I just didn't move. Then my door flings open for a second time and we're staring face to face yet again and for the same painfully long amount of time. My heart was racing and I just remember thinking, he's going to hurt me. Now that I look back on it, I really should have screamed or something. Poppy was at the very edge of the bed now, very vicious and snarling. She honestly sounded like a much bigger dog than she actually was. Right after that though, he literally slammed my door shut. As soon as he did it, I jumped out of my bed and locked my door. I heard him take my car keys. I was absolutely terrified that they were going to find my car and then steal it since I had just parked directly outside. I frantically called 911 and I was absolutely sobbing the entire time. I said, Someone's in my house and they came in my room. Please help me. It took them about 30 minutes to get there, which was kind of annoying since I knew that there were cop cars literally everywhere surrounding the bar since it was homecoming. 
But anyways, when I finally came out, the living room and my roommate's bedroom were totally ransacked. My roommate's TV was right on the floor because they tried to carry it out, but I guess they just decided to leave it because it was too heavy. They stole my Xbox and all of my games. They even stole my freaking book bag with all of my textbooks and homework in it. The two policemen got there and I told them everything, and I asked if I could call my roommate. Josh picked up the phone, but he was heavily slurring. I could tell that he was inside of a bar and that he could barely hear me. I just screamed, please give Dylan the phone, just hoping that Dylan was at least more sober than Josh was. So Josh put Dylan on the phone. I don't know how, but through my tears and sobs and through all of the screaming people and the house music, he actually managed to hear me say that our apartment was robbed. He then frantically told me that they were coming, and then he hung up. While I was waiting for them, one of the policemen asked if they could take prints from my roommate's TV, which I agreed to. Josh and Dylan get back and the policemen totally change their tone. They get really aggressive and say that we were targeted for a reason. Josh is in the military, but Josh looks like just any other regular college freshman, and his only friends at the time were literally just me and Dylan, so we were the only ones who knew he was in the military. The police tried to accuse Josh of stashing guns and drugs everywhere, and apparently that's why we got robbed. I literally was like, are you freaking kidding me? They then had the audacity to pull me to the side and say that Josh hired people to come rob his own apartment while I was inside of it. Then they asked me how I knew them. I said and I quote, Sir, I've known Josh since we were 13 years old. We moved here to attend university together. He just gave me a look. When they finally left, we had got our locks changed immediately. I also had to take the next day off of school to drive to the nearest Nissan dealership and then wait about 7 hours for them to rewire a key fob for me. So yeah, it was a big inconvenience. To the men who robbed me, hopefully I won't be meeting you ever again. For your sake. Because I'm older and angrier now and I have defensive weapons and I'm definitely not afraid to kick your ass. So yeah, you don't want to try me again. The story I'm about to tell you is crazy, but it's the complete truth. Everything had started a few months ago when I decided to create a profile on Tinder. I uploaded some nice pictures and started the process of swiping. Suddenly I had matched with this really handsome guy. We started chatting. He was intelligent, good looking, and really well mannered. The combination of these things almost seemed too good to be true to me. After about a week of chatting though, he had asked to meet up with me, which of course I agreed to. We had decided to arrange a date at a local restaurant, which I knew. I had arrived on time, but he wasn't there yet. I think that I waited for maybe about 15 to 20 minutes when suddenly an old man then approached me. He said, Hey, can I sit next to you, darling? I answered, Um, I'm waiting for someone, sir. Yeah, I know. I'm Joe's dad. The man then said, Um, his dad? Um, where's Joe? Suddenly the man jumped and then he started shouting, You ho! Of course you're no different. Am I not good enough for you? Let's go and I'll bring you to your freaking Joe. Right after these words, he had grabbed my arm and then tried to pull me right out of the restaurant. 
Thank God that the waitress that was standing nearby came to my rescue. Then the man backed off. For over an hour, I was just way too shocked to leave that restaurant, so I pretty much just sat there and drank wine. When I decided it was time to go, I realized I was a little bit tipsy, and then I started searching for a taxi. One was actually standing right next to the restaurant, so I just came up to it and asked the driver whether he was free to bring me home. However, as soon as I stood next to his taxi window, I looked inside and I saw that same old creepy guy from the restaurant. He once again tried to pull me inside of it, but I managed to escape and then called the police. When the police arrived, I told them everything that happened. I think that they arrested the man, but I don't really know, as I never really saw him again after that. When I got home that night, I decided to delete Tinder right off my phone. So yeah, after that experience, I really don't think I'll be using it ever again. During the quarantine, I've been on Tinder trying to get to know new girls. I got a few matches here and there, but none of them ever really materialized. That is, until a few days ago, I matched with a girl. We'll call her Bree. We messaged on the app for quite a while, and she asked me for my Snapchat. I decided that that would probably be more fun to talk to on anyways, so I give it to her. We add each other on Snapchat, and then she asks if she can come over so that we can quote-unquote do things. I politely decline due to the fact that I literally just met her, and I'm not full set on looking for that. She seems pretty upset about it and then keeps asking once again to come over. I keep telling her though that that's just not what I'm looking for right now. For a while, she then stops sending messages. Eventually, after about 10 minutes, I then get a message saying, I'll be seeing you soon. I message her back saying that I don't know what she means. About 30 minutes go by and I then get a picture from her. It looks to be like a streetlight on a really dark road. At this point in time, it's between 12.30 and 1 in the morning, and I'm wondering what she's doing out. I ask her what she's doing, and I get another picture. This time, however, it's a picture of a baseball diamond in the dark. I kind of look at it for a second, wondering why it looks so familiar to me. That's when I then realize that the reason it looks familiar is because it's the diamond that's across the street from my house. I message her back, and I tell her to stop. She opens the message, starts to type, and then stops. A few minutes pass, and I start to think she's gone. I then look out my window to see if she's still across the street. I then see the dark outline of what appears to be about three people standing around a car. While looking through my blinds, a light flashes on me, and I hear someone in the group then yell, There he is! I close all of my blinds and curtains, and then I go check the locks on my doors. I start to hear knocking on my front door. This is followed by a woman's voice, then yelling, Let me in, right now! I call the police, and I ask for them to send a car my way immediately. I live in a small town, so we don't really have that many police officers. The station then tells me that the police just dealt with a previous call, and that they're going to do a drive-by in a few minutes. I then yelled at the door that I just called the police. About a minute later, I then hear the squeal of tires. I look out my window, and the car is gone now. The police pull in my driveway and come to the door and talk to me, but they said that they don't see anything. I tell them everything that happened, but I don't really have any proof that they were there. 
I had thanked the police for showing up and then they take off. After they left, I had checked all of the doors and windows in my house and I go to my room. I decided to look at my Snapchat so that I could try and figure out how she found me. I looked at my Snap map and I realized that it somehow turned back on even after I turned my location off. I deactivate it again and go back to sleep. She messaged me the next day that she hopes she can see me again and that the next meeting goes way better. Following that message, I then blocked her and reported her on Tinder. This was three days ago now. If anything else happens, I'll definitely post an update. I hope this is a lesson for anyone that uses location on Snapchat. It's very dangerous. Okay, so I have an update. It's currently about 1.30 in the morning while I'm writing this. It had been about a week since my previous encounter with that girl from Tinder. I thought that she had moved on. I was wrong. I had heard a car pulling across the street just like I did the first time. I looked outside, but the car looked different, so I didn't think it was her. I decided to wait a while, then look back out again. The car was still there, headlights on and car running. First try at the picture, my camera switched to flash. I quickly turned it on, then took a second picture. The first picture's flash must have been bright enough for them to see it because right after I took the second picture, the car door opened. Out steps a man dressed in all black. He's wearing a mask. I'm not really sure how to properly describe it because I've never seen one like it before. The man starts walking towards my house and it looks like he has something in his hand. At this point, I know I need to act quickly or that this could go really bad. I quickly call the cops and the dispatcher tells me to stay on the line while the police come. My house is about five blocks away from the police station, but this time they're still there. The man tries to run back to his car, but the police stop him before he could. I go outside to talk to the police. They went on to tell me that the man had a knife and all the man told him was, He knows who sent me. The police then ask me if it has anything to do with why they came last time. I tell them that it does, and that's why the man's there. I told them as much as I could about the girl, then they leave. They promise to tell me if they find anything else out about the case, and that they're also going to drive by more at night. Now I'm going to be up all night long watching the street for other cars. I think tomorrow morning I'm going to go stay at a friend's house until I feel better about this. I'll keep everyone updated if anything else ever happens. But I really hope this is the end of it. In March of this year, I had started talking to this guy that I matched with on Tinder. We'll call him Jack. He started out super kind and sweet to me, but being the naive girl that I am, I trusted him. I still lived in my college's dorm at the time, but was lucky enough to have a single room, so I invited him over to see me. When we first met, I didn't really see any red flags at the time except for the fact that he got attached to me way too quickly. But as I'm not that confident, it felt really good to have his attention. I'm not going to lie, we did sleep together that night and he then came over two other nights after that. But he was moving out of state and back to California a week after we met, but as it's always been a dream of mine to move to Cali, it wasn't really a big deal. So a couple of days after he moved, I admitted to him that I smoke and he started to show major red flags at this information. 
It wasn't the fact that he didn't like me smoking that threw me off. It was the fact that he told me that he couldn't continue talking to me because of it. At that point, I felt really connected with him, and I'm going to be honest. Him telling me that actually made me cry a little bit. But I played it off as harsh, and I told him to screw off, and if he couldn't accept the one negative thing, I shouldn't care about what he thought. And that's when I blocked him on Snapchat. So, I'll admit, I had a regular friend with benefits before I started talking to Jack, and he asked me if he could come over that night. Impulsively, I said yes. I thought that it would make me forget what Jack said, but as I waited for the guy to come over, Jack started texting me and then apologizing me for being so rude, and apparently he just wanted to see how I'd react if he told me he couldn't talk to me. But as I had an emotionally abusive ex who did the same stuff to me and honestly messed me up really badly, I saw it as a major no. But Jack just continued to call and text me. I tried ignoring it as my guy friend was over and told him to ignore my phone going off. But when he fell asleep in my bed, I had finally answered the text. Since I'm way too nice of a person, I gave in talking to him and decided to give him a second chance. Really big mistake. The next night, I had went to a party with my friend. Let's call my friend Lilia. Well, I had drunkenly told her about the whole situation and how Jack was really rude to me, and all of the red flags he showed the night before. Pretty much instantly, she knew that it was a really bad situation for me to be in, and I allowed her to take my phone and then block Jack on everything. Honestly, it felt like a really good thing to do, but Lilia brought me back to my dorm and I saw a new phone number was texting and calling me. Drunkenly, I had answered the phone and Jack was on the line. I was crying at this point and texting Lilia about the whole situation and that I just couldn't hang up for some reason. Lilia drove back and I went back down to her car. She took my phone from me and told Jack that he was being really creepy at this point and he really just needed to leave me alone and that I just didn't want anything to do with him at all moving forward. But Jack kept going on about how much he loved me and that he wouldn't leave me alone and that he was going to be seeing me the following Tuesday when he came back to Wisconsin. I was terrified at this point. I was telling this guy to just leave me alone but he wouldn't take a hint. Lilia and I blocked the new number and then a third unknown number then started to call and text me. Once again I blocked it and they then proceeded to use another number as well as WhatsApp, a second Instagram and he found my Facebook. This guy was crazy. At this point, I was totally freaking out about this. We blocked him once again, and he actually stopped. Well, for a little while. Lilia then told me that I should email my RA about the threat to come to me on Tuesday, and I actually did just that. I asked her if we could talk in person. Over the next few days, I ended up blocking a total of nine new phone numbers from Jack, as well as three Instagrams, two Facebooks, and two Snapchats. On Sunday, I was finally able to tell my RA about the entire situation, who proceeded to call in the hall manager who I had to tell as well. After telling them about it, a police officer was called. He took a report of the situation and how I didn't feel safe. To be completely honest, at that point, my phone totally scared me. I was really nervous to be in my dorm as Jack had made multiple threats to come and find me as well as force himself on me. The officer couldn't really do much as Jack had moved to another state, but he had took his phone number and then called him, explaining that he was an officer and that Jack just really needed to leave me alone. Apparently, Jack said he understood and that he wouldn't be contacting me ever again. So about 12 hours went by and I didn't hear from him. 
I proceeded to move into a new dorm building with the help of friends. I had a new dorm and all of the staff within my new and old building had a picture of my stalker, so they were instructed not to allow him into the building. But even after the officer called Jack, he still continued to harass me until that Tuesday. He used another four or five numbers to contact me, and to be completely honest, my anxiety was really high. My friends were with me 24-7, ensuring that I had never walked alone to or from class, or even to my dorm at night. After that Tuesday, he didn't contact me again. About a month and a half ago now, Jack had used a new number to message me. At this point, I was starting to become myself again and feeling really comfortable with being on my phone again. But of course, it just couldn't stay that way. I proceeded to block about three more phone numbers that he had used to contact me that night. Thankfully, I haven't heard from Jack since then, but I'm still really fearful whenever I have an unknown number pop up on my screen, as I just never really know if it's him or not. Jack, if you happen to hear this story, please just leave me the hell alone and never contact me ever again. I'm begging you. I'm mostly a lurker on here, but I've considered sharing my story several times. I was really hesitant because absolutely no one knows about this. Not my family, nor my friends. I've held on to this for about 10 years now, and I figured it was time to let it out. Plus, I think there's some really valuable lessons that can be learned from my experience. Here we go. For reference, I'm a 27-year-old female and the story takes place about 10 years ago when I was 17. I had just started university and I was really excited about having a fresh new start since I'd always been a really nerdy outcast in high school. I never had a boyfriend before and I'd never been on a date, so I was really naive and optimistic about boys. My introverted and awkward personality hadn't magically changed since entering university so it's safe to say that I didn't really meet any interesting guys at school. One late night, I was in my room working on an assignment on my laptop when I then received a request on MSN Messenger. The email address was a boy's name with some numbers. The name was clearly ethnic and likely someone of the same origin as me. Very intrigued, I accepted. For the sake of the story, we'll call this boy Ken. We got to chatting and I asked him how he had gotten my email address. He dodged the question. I let it go, not really thinking too much of it. This was from the time when it was pretty normal to accept anyone and everyone as a friend on Facebook as well as other social media platforms. As Ken and I continued to talk, I learned that he lived in my city and apparently wasn't much older than me. As I had guessed, our roots were in fact in the same country, India. I asked him why he didn't have a picture of himself on his display picture, and this prompted him to suggest that we turn on our webcams because he wanted to see me too. I declined, but he just kept insisting. Somehow he convinced me, and then we both switched on our webcams. I was pleasantly surprised and somewhat relieved to see that Ken was a really good-looking young guy and chatting to me from the comfort of his bedroom, seemingly very normal. Our MSN chats then carried on for a couple of weeks. They developed into texts and we even had a few phone calls after I had agreed to give him my number. I started to develop a crush on Ken. He asked me to go out with him a couple of times but I was always really busy with school and our schedules were just never lining up. 
Finally, we found one afternoon when we were both free and we decided to schedule a lunch date. Ken had a car and he offered to pick me up from university after I was done for the day. I was a little too dressed up for my C-plus programming class, but just right for the lunch date. We planned to go to a local vegetarian restaurant. Stupidly enough, I didn't really tell any of my friends where I was going or with whom because I was just really embarrassed about going on my very first date, especially at almost 18 with someone who had randomly added me on MSN. I waited outside my building when a black car with heavily tinted windows pulled up beside me. The passenger side window rolled down and sure enough, there was Ken just sitting in the driver's seat. I was happy to see that he was as cute in person as he was on webcam. However, what I wasn't expecting was the intense smell of weed floating out of the car. Not really relevant, but part of that first impression. Admittedly, I was a bit taken aback and was really concerned that he might be driving high. He unlocked the doors and motioned for me to get in, and so I did, without dispute. As I sat down in the passenger seat, he immediately put his hand right on my thigh. I very nervously then shifted my leg away. So, I started. Do you know where the restaurant is? I can guide you if you want. He smirked at me but didn't really say anything and just started driving. Okay, I mean, kinda weird. I thought maybe he was nervous or awkward, both of which I would sympathize with, so I just let it be. I was about to try my hand at a little small talk which I'm really no good at when I then noticed him heading right towards the highway ramp. I started to worry because the restaurant wasn't that far from my campus and there was really no reason for us to be getting on the highway. Um, you don't need to take the highway. The restaurant is really close by. I can guide you. I tried to keep my voice steady but I could hear my own nervousness. Ken finally spoke for the first time since I'd gotten into the car. I thought that maybe we could just go to my place instead. We can play Need for Speed and I can make lunch for you. I was 17 years old on my way to the house of a guy that I just met for the very first time and I hadn't told anyone where I was going. My mind was racing. I knew that this would be an utterly stupid thing to do. Despite the clear red flags waving in my face, I had decided that I didn't want to ruin our first date by rejecting his offer to make me lunch and play NFS together, which I had told him I liked playing. So like an idiot, I reluctantly agreed to avoid being rude. We made it to his house. It was apparently his family's home and was situated in a sort of shady neighborhood. We stepped inside and of course no one except us was home. It was sparsely furnished and looked unkempt which struck me as pretty odd for a family home. He informed me that his Xbox was in his bedroom. I hesitated in the doorway but he sat at the foot of his bed in front of the TV and then padded the empty space beside him for me to have a seat. There was literally nowhere else to sit in his room, so I cautiously sat down, keeping as much distance as I could between us. I started to relax as we played NFS and he made us PB&Js to munch on. I was about to laugh at myself for being overly paranoid when Ken then did something really bizarre. He got up onto the bed and then sat down directly behind me, his legs on the other side of me and then tried to guide my hands on the controller. I had started to ask him what he was doing and as if this wasn't uncomfortable enough, his hands then moved from the controller and then slid up under my shirt. That's when I really started to panic. 
I thought that he was going to try and grope my chest, but instead he then started squeezing and actually massaging my belly. I was more than a little chubby back then, so you can imagine what that might have been like. I dropped the controller in pure shock, quickly stood up, and then fixed my shirt. I was at a total loss for words, and he did nothing but then smirk at me and tell me that he liked it. I felt completely disgusted and totally violated. I'd had enough. I had lied, and I told him that I had a group project that I really needed to work on and that I needed to go. He asked where I lived so that he could drop me home. Thankfully, I had the common sense not to tell him that, and I asked him to drop me off at school instead, where I would be supposedly meeting up with my classmates. He obliged. After our very uncomfortable first date, I decided that I didn't want to talk to Ken anymore. I didn't block him on MSN or on my phone, our only two methods of communication, but I rarely responded to any of his messages and I always ignored his calls. Once he had messaged me on MSN around 11pm asking me to come over and telling me that he would send a cab to bring me over to his place. Thoroughly annoyed, I then responded, What do you take me for? Why do you even think I would want to do that? He then replied saying, No sex, I promise. It was just bizarre. I was so disgusted and I didn't even respond. He continued trying to get in touch with me for months, and then suddenly he vanished. I figured that he'd finally gotten the point. Now, I really wish the story ended here, but it doesn't. I last heard from Ken in late February. He had stopped trying to contact me shortly after Valentine's Day. In April, two family members and I went on holiday to visit another relative, who will call in. She was living in the Caribbean at the time. Anne, whom I love dearly, was and still is a bit of an eccentric. She considers herself very spiritual and is an active member of a large, well-known spiritual organization. She's deeply connected with India and always goes back for frequent visits. While we stayed with her in the Caribbean, she had told us about her most recent spiritual trip to India, where she met a really wealthy and well-connected local woman through the organization, who quickly became a very close friend. Let's call her Connie. During our visit, Anne introduced us to Connie virtually over Skype, because Connie lives in India. We chatted with her a couple of times throughout our vacation through Skype, and got to know her a little bit. Little did we know back then that Connie, who Anne had spontaneously met halfway across the world in India, would soon wreak utter havoc on our lives. Now, that's a story that I'm just not and may never be ready to tell because of how many lives were affected by it and the severity of the damage that had been inflicted. What you need to know is that Connie was an outright criminal and a con artist who had been targeting our family long before Anne had actually met her. Their meeting was no coincidence. Not only did she manage to steal over 100k from our family, but she took any peace of mind or sense of security that we ever had. When we had finally caught on and confronted her, she insisted that we were mistaken but then disappeared into thin air once we forced her out of our lives. You're probably wondering what on earth this has to do with the story about Ken. Well, get this. The situation with Connie lasted many months. The whole thing is kind of a blur to me now. But we first spoke to her online in April, and I remember the whole ordeal lasting well into the fall. While she normally resided in India, Anne had invited her to visit and stay with us where we presently live. That's where things really took a turn for the worse. 
some of the things I clearly remember and are important to the story were that one, the whole time she was staying with us, she was trying to convince me to transfer schools to a very obscure school and program in the US and was actually getting very pushy about it. And two, she asked me if I was a virgin and told me to save myself for my husband. Really disturbing, I know. During this time, I was so emotionally drained and stressed that I didn't really think of anything but the situation at hand. In fact, I had stopped socializing almost entirely and even started frequently skipping classes. I had lost contact with my high school friends and my university friends were way too new to really care, so my strange behavior and new destructive habits went unnoticed. Fast forward to one day after Connie's final disappearance in the fall. I was at home with my dad when my cell phone rang. I looked at the caller ID and it was a number I didn't have saved, so it was showing the contact information as whatever name the phone was registered under. My heart then dropped right into my stomach. My phone displayed the name. The first name was a man's name and the last name was the same last name as Connie's. I started to panic and then ran into my bedroom to answer the call. I had no idea what to expect. When I picked up the phone, I was then greeted by a familiar voice. It was Ken. I honestly thought I was going to puke when I came to a sudden realization that he had actually been a part of this whole sick plot. Of course, I didn't have any hard evidence to prove that he was connected to Connie, but let me explain. The timing of his appearance and reappearance into my life, the last name and the fact that he had contacted me out of the blue and I had no idea why or how were just way too bizarre to be a mere coincidence. Of course, I totally freaked out at Ken when he called, and I told him that if he ever called me again, I would call the police. His response back was just a really weird dry half-laugh, and then he said back, Well, okay then. In the most creepy voice you can think of, then he hung up. I just knew in my gut that this was their last attempt to get back in touch and somehow slither their way back into mine and my family's lives. Thankfully, though, I had never heard from Ken again after that day. A while after this all happened, I was having a conversation with a family member who was really closely involved in all of this. We were talking about the whole ordeal, and she told me that she sensed something extremely wrong when Connie was pushing to have me sent off to the U.S. to that obscure school. She had an unshakable feeling that Connie was involved in some sort of human trafficking scene, and that if I left, she would never see me again. Right at that time was when the horrifying pieces came together for me. I was just too damn naive to have seen it before. The memories totally flooded back to me when I heard that. How Ken had told me no sex I promise when he invited me over and how Connie was telling me to remain a virgin. As I said, I had never told a soul about Ken nor about the weird V-card conversation with Connie. I strongly and firmly believed that Ken had been some sort of player in Connie's game and was really just there to keep me away from guys and prevent me from having a boyfriend. For those who may be wondering, we never called the police on Connie or Ken because nothing really illegal happened at face value. It's very hard to explain. I'll also mention that I tried to find Ken online many times after this all happened. I don't know why, I just felt like I wanted to expose him or call him out but I wasn't able to find even a sliver of information on him. Not by the name Ken, nor by the name on the caller ID. It was as if he didn't even exist. Also, I'm really awful at directions, and I didn't remember his address or where his house was exactly. I'm sorry if this story is convoluted or confusing. 
I'm trying to get my point across without giving out any names or too many details, which makes it a little challenging. I hope this can serve as a warning to young people to never trust anyone and to do your thorough checks on people, especially to those you meet online, and to always be very aware of weary people's intentions. Also, from this incident onward, I just really can't stomach a lot of these spiritual organizations. I never liked the idea of them to begin with. No judgment for those who are into that sort of thing. It's just definitely not for me. Stay safe, everyone. And to Ken and Connie, if I ever see either of you ever again, I'll definitely kick you in the face. Rot in hell.